It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. On Sunday, U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan told Fox's Chris Wallace if China does not cooperate with further probes into the coronavirus origins, the country will face, quote, isolation in the international community. Sullivan applauded President Biden's efforts at the G7 to uncover the roots of the COVID-19. This, while others, including former director of national intelligence John Ratcliffe, are not only criticizing the president's handling of affairs with China, but with Russia as well, saying he could make the argument that the first five months of the Biden administration have been the best of Vladimir Putin's political life. For this and more, we'll bring in our all-star panel this week. National editor of Cook Political Report, Amy Walter. USA Today, Washington Bureau Chief, Susan Page. And former State Department spokesperson, Morgan Ortegas. All right, Amy, uh, you know, the the administration seems to think that uh, the fallout from this trip overseas was that allies are signed on more. And even though the pressure on China may not be that great, at least right now. They believe it will build and they'll be able to make headway. Right. And that's with the um, assumption, of course, that the rest of the G7 nations, I mean, the the theory being that they have such a much better uh, relationship with this American president that they feel like they know what they're dealing with, with a president that kind of comes from the mold of previous American presidents. And of course, they've known, many of them have known Joe Biden as vice president. But as we also know, it's not just the G7 countries that are engaging with China, whether it's for economic development or um, on trade and things as such. And so we're hearing in other parts of the world too, where China has an incredible influence Um, how indeed does America and its allies have an influence there? It's one thing for the allies to agree that together, uh, potentially uh, bonding over certain issues uh, where we find China to be egregious, but getting the rest of the world to buy in is going to be a big challenge. Yeah. And the fallout from, you know, the, the meetings, I think Morgan was there were critics saying, There was not a lot of, you know, teeth in that. The communiques from both G7 and NATO, a little bit watered down when it came to China and Russia, as far as the language. They always are in some sort of diplo speak, but this particular was. Your thoughts on, um, you know, where we are now? 
So I'm willing to give the Biden administration a, a little bit of pass on the on the G7 Russia meetings for not having major uh, accomplishments or do outs, because, you know, this is the first meeting of the administration, all sides, even if they know Joe Biden. They're still getting to to know each other and to test the waters, uh, saying that the media reaction, you know, fawning that somehow, uh, you know, it was the second coming and the Messiah had landed at the G7 uh, was a bit extreme. So uh, I actually sort of disagree with some of the premise that 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 allies aren't going to follow us in terms of holding China accountable. Uh, the European allies may not. But if you look at Australia. Uh, they've they've displayed extraordinary guts since the beginning of this process. I mean, they were one of the first countries to call for an independent investigation last year uh, into the uh, origins of the coronavirus. And in fact, uh, the Chinese retaliated uh, right away. Um, and I think when you look at the Quad, which went dormant for eight years under Barack Obama, and uh, we revived the Quad in the Trump administration, and uh, when you look at India and others, uh, I, I think a lot of countries are are willing to stand up if America will lead. So listen, I, as diplomacy goes, I understand that, at, especially at the beginning of an, an administration, you're going to have a lot of big meetings. But if if uh, re-engaging and allowing Nord Stream uh, 2, if not holding Russia accountable for cyber attacks, if doing European EU trade deals with China during the middle um, of, of Hong Kong, just losing all of its autonomy and democracy, and, and no statements about the genocide in Xinjiang, Jung, if that's what's coming out of out of our European allies and out of the G7, it might be a very toothless four years. Susan? Well, I would say the Biden White House tried to set pretty low expectations for this first trip, and they and they met the low expectations that they they set. They wanted to show a change of tone uh, in the United States role and relationship with allies at NATO and in the G7. They did that. Uh, they did not, you know, the White House did not argue before the meeting with Putin that it was going to have some big deliverable at the end of it to show success or failure. Uh, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of a process. Uh, they say that President Biden was reasonably tough in private uh, with Putin, and certainly the the press, the dueling press conferences afterwards were quite different in tone from the Helsinki press conference that President Trump held uh, with Putin after their meeting. And that is something that the Biden folks are pointing to as a as a good thing. You know, a lot of people maybe don't pay attention to uh, these big overseas movements and what's happening, um, although origins of the coronavirus seems to be uh, top of mind for a lot of people um, as, as we get through this pandemic, Amy. But here at home, uh, people are concerned about the price of things, inflation. Uh, they're concerned about crime in the streets of a lot of big cities. And it seems like the administration is starting to say these two things may be a problem. That's right. You're going to hear the president this week is, is making an address on um, the issue of crime. We're watching in many of these, even in Democratic primaries, where the issue of crime has taken a central um, starring role, including the New York mayoral primary, which is happening on Tuesday. Um, and uh, the issue of inflation continues to be one that is it's sort of an internal, another intra-party battle here between those currently in the White House, especially those who were around in the Obama era, feel like um, 
Obama was criticized for not bringing the economy back quickly enough. So they want to go all in, go as hard as possible, uh, put, you know, run the economy as hot as possible versus those who came of age really during the um, 70s and 80s or also were around during the Clinton era saying, look, there are real signs of inflationary pressure. That's going to be a real problem to bring the economy back. We know that the Fed last week, uh, Jerome Powell saying, look, we expect to see a little higher than normal inflation for the rest of this year. But there was not a panic about, oh, boy, it looks like it's going to go off the rails. But look, if you are in administration going into negotiations right now on big spending packages, you know, we're talking trillions of dollars that are uh, involved in these different infrastructure, infrastructure plus packages. Um, this is where you're going to get um, potentially even Democrats saying, mm, I don't know, I'm feeling a little bit nervous that we're spending a whole lot of money um, at a time when uh, people are seeing, you know, the price of everything from gas to, um, you know, day to day sort of things that they're trying to buy. Uh, there's still there's still a backup there in terms of uh, the, the supply chain. And uh, let's not borrow trouble. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm very curious to see how that discussion gets into the infrastructure debate that right now has really just been between Democrats and Republicans, but could become much more uh, focused on some of the intra-party concerns. Guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue after this. Uh, Susan, there's, a, there's an effort to at least now... Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Now pass something that is bipartisan in a scaled back fashion of infrastructure specific and then do something else uh, in a big package of social, more social uh, aspect of four plus trillion dollars in reconciliation. Is that conceivable? Yeah, it's conceivable. I mean, and the, the, you know, the persistence of these bipartisan talks in various formulations, I think that's been a little bit of a surprise. They've been written off as doomed a couple times, but they are still going on. You now have a group uh, that includes 11 Republican senators participating and trying to reach a bipartisan deal for roughly a trillion dollars. That is even today, a lot of money. Uh, and if you can get a bipartisan debt as a bipartisan deal through, then you will definitely see a push by Democrats for a bigger package that would be moved along just by using reconciliation, depending only on Democratic votes. And in fact, one of the dynamics you see now, which is so interesting, is Democrats progressive Democrats demanding a guarantee that they support this $1 trillion package on a bipartisan way, on the bipartisan track, that they, everyone will remember they're now committed, Democrats would remember they're now committed to this follow-on package with just Democratic votes. I think that's what we're trying to see this week, if that kind of deal can actually move forward. Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, there for all the focus on Joe Manchin from West Virginia, there are other senators who have problems with uh, deficit and debt going through the roof. Um, Maggie Hassan uh, in New Hampshire. You've got Kirsten Sinema in Arizona. Mark Kelly is up for re-election in Arizona. Uh, there are a number of different senators who actually 
have not been the focus of the attention, Morgan, but they are kind of in the shadows um, waiting to see how this deal comes together. Yeah, and I think it always it's inevitable that 2022 dynamics come into play. Um, as you uh, said at the very beginning, Brett, you know, we have, and Jim Jordan even tweeted this earlier today, still prices up, lumber prices up, construction prices are up. I mean, what's going on around uh, around the rest of America, you know, outside of the Beltway, as uh, as people are trying to refurbish their home or, or trying to get uh, the economy, their businesses going again in a post-COVID economy, these are the real world things that people are are thinking about. Um, and so when you hear these, I, I think for a lot of Republican senators and, and, and members of the House who are very obviously anxious to take the House back in 22, when you hear these trillions of dollars being thrown around for infrastructure, uh, I think smart uh, members, uh, both Republicans and Democrats, you know that back in their home districts, you know, you're really struggling to get the lumber that you need for the addition to your garage, right? Or, or whatever it may be. And you may be struggling to fill up the gas tank again, uh, the maybe line. So so I, I try to look at this and in, 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 in sort of how, how are real Americans thinking about this? And, and certainly with prices the way they are, that's that's going to come into play when these infrastructure bills come up. Yeah. I mean, if people say no taxes, but the price of something goes up, I mean, essentially, that's a inflation tax, uh, Amy. And that, right. that when you feel that at your kitchen table, um, you know, it, it affects people's thinking. Um, we also hear about, obviously, the restaurants and having a hard time getting workers, but it's not just them. Airlines are canceling uh, flights left and right because they don't have enough people uh, right. working at the time. So that affects a lot of people, too. Yeah, I mean, this is really the question, right, Brett, which is we're now in the summer of 2021 is going to be very far from minds of most people by the time we hit the summer of 2022 when the midterms are actually going to start to come into focus. So, you know, what inflation looks like in 2020, in 2022 is going to be critical. And this is where the Biden administration folks feel pretty good, right? That, you know, by the time we hit ne- this time next year, all of this stuff will have worked its way out, right? We are now in a supply demand sort of mismatch because of everything you pointed out, Right. People are desperate to get out of their homes, but at the same time, workers haven't come back to places like restaurants and resorts and things like that. And that once we once we get that rebalanced, things are going to look normal. There aren't the, the the kinds of pressures on the economy like we saw back in the seventies. Um, at the same time, you know we we're living in a new era now, Brett. Like, I don't know how often I'm just thinking about my own travel, which has been curtailed because of, um, of the pandemic, but I don't know how much business travel I'm actually going to do again. And I talked to a lot of folks, actually one of the first questions I ask almost anybody is, so are you traveling for work anymore? And if so, how is that happening? And so if you're an airline industry that's been counting on, you know, all these folks, you know, flying to Chicago for the day, who now say, you know what, I'm just going to do this on Zoom, um, that has a bigger trickle-down impact on the economy than what we're expecting. That's very different from, you know, a bunch of folks who are saying pent-up demand and they want to go out to uh, a new restaurant or go, uh, you know, on that family vacation uh, that they take once every year. So, Susan, does this all factor in to that argument up on Capitol Hill that, you know, the big social ticket thing, maybe we shouldn't be doing that now. Well, it for some, for Republicans, for sure, for some moderate Democrats, but it does not 
convince liberal Democrats that they shouldn't be for as much spending as they can possibly get. Uh, you know, they came into this uh, uh, new administration with the most ambitious plans, FDR style plans, and they haven't uh, given up on those, although it's been hard. It's been hard to get this uh, infrastructure bill through Congress. And there's more to follow that. They look at other big priorities, including the voting rights bill that comes up tomorrow. Almost no chance that gets through the Senate. Uh, governing is Governing is hard, for sure. Um, it's very hard when you have the kind of extremely narrow majorities that Democrats have in the House and Senate, but they are determined to get as much as they can while they have those narrow majorities because you know it is entirely possible that they're going to lose the House and maybe the Senate at the end of next year. And that always factors in. Morgan, final word here. Well, I, I don't have anything more really to add than other what your your other brilliant panelists said, other than I'm just living in real America right now in Tennessee. And I can tell you that it's very different from the Beltway and, and all of these uh, things that the guests just brought up, you know, getting lumber prices, not being able to get on the airplane, costs going up. Um, people are very, are very concerned about that. And if there's anything that will impact 22, it'll be, it will be these issues. Well, thank you, ladies. Uh, Here's a bit of presidential trivia. June 22nd, 1870, President Ulysses S. Grant signed a bill into law which created the U.S. Department of Justice. Before the establishment of the Justice Department, Judiciary Act of 1789 created a singular position of attorney general as a way to advise the president on legal matters and Congress. By 1819, the workload had grown significantly, and by 1830, there were calls to make the attorney general a full-time position. However, it wasn't until 40 years later that the department officially became operational July 1st, 1870. There you go. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Amy, Susan, and Morgan, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.